0: Welcome to the New Books Network.
1: So hi, hello to Kristen Larson.
0: Hi, Mel, thank you for having me.
1: You're one of my favorites. I mean, when when I bring somebody back, that's a sign that I loved our first interview, and I did love our first interview. And um, it was uh, one of the best read, uh, best listened to, best watched uh, interviews I've done. And here we are again. And I'm in Israel, and you're somewhere between Los Angeles and San Francisco.
0: Yes, where it's very um, wet and wintry.
1: And uh, yeah, so welcome to the, um, let's see if I get it right, the Children's Literature Channel of the New Books Network, which I am fortunate to host. And I am fortunate, as you can imagine, to interview this wonderful author, Kirsten, you have a new book out and we're celebrating. Yay. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. Show everybody the book.
0: Oh, yep. That, so... that was the prompt.
1: You know, I, you have oh, a new sorry. Book sorry. Let, we'll do it again. <laughs> we'll do it again. Kirsten, hey. we're here to celebrate your new book.
0: Hooray. All right. All right. Here it is. woo! All right. Um, This is the fire of stars. Um, It's the life and brilliance of the woman who discovered what stars are made of. Um, It is illustrated by the amazing Catherine Roy, which is why you see this gorgeous um, cover. Or if you're uh, not watching us, you know, you can go check it out wherever you buy books. Um, This is from Chronicle Books. And um, what makes this book unique is it's Two stories being told at the same time. So it's the story of um, astrophysicist Cecilia Payne, um, Gaposchkin, after she married later in her life. Um, And it's also the story of how a star is born. And those two stories are told side by side, simultaneously on um, every spread with a linking line of text that unites the two stories. So it's a book that can be read a number of different ways.
1: Wonderful. And now is the time to open the book for our watching audience.
0: <laughs> okay. Watching audience.
1: Okay. We also have yeah. a podcast. The, the people can't see the book. It's it's a marvelous book. Uh, it's gorgeous. It's so well-written. Run out and buy it today.
0: Yeah. So that, um, and you can, you know, it's, you can see it wherever books are sold. But for those who are watching, um, what you'll notice is on Every two page spread, um, you'll see the star story and you'll see um, Cecilia's story, her formation as a scientist. And then um, on each spread, there's like this linking line of text. So for young readers, maybe they just read this short line of text and you can read that all across the book or you can read um, Cecilia's story right? You can read the additional information that pertains to Cecilia. And it's like that on on every single spread. So the stories are united and um, they're following the same same arc. So, I mean, Catherine, I just can't even tell you how glorious her work is on this book. And she also has some great resources for like helping kids make some of these um, star designs that she created. She shares and um, shares her process for that. So anyway, it's just, it's a really cool book. Two stories, multiple stories in one. Two stories And lots,
1: lots of back matter that parents yes. and librarians love.
0: Yes, because, I mean, somebody once asked me like, you know, what did you have to leave out of this book? And in reality, um, I left out pretty much Cecilia Payne-Gapashkin's entire career because what I was most interested in in, in this book was her formation as a scientist, starting with her curiosity as a child and her persistence. So we end, I end the story essentially with her um, dissertation, which she wrote. It was a groundbreaking dissertation, which she wrote at the age of 25. Um, and then she had an entire career at Harvard <laughs> that spanned decades. But I left all of that out because I was just interested in her focus on this thrill of discovery and finding something new so the back matter um, is where you get to learn um, the rest of the story so you know there's a whole timeline of her career um, and her life that ends um, with her death in 1979 and um, you'll find things like kind of little thumbnails um, I go through and talk about like how a star is born using the thumbnails and lines of text from each page and then elaborating on that process and of course there's like an author's note which talks um, a little bit about her discovery and um, her work so
1: she, she yeah, was lots contem- of matter. she was a contemporary of Einstein
0: Yes. And in fact, um, you know, she was one of her pivotal moments was um, she went to see a lecture by Arthur Eddington, who um essentially was kind of proving Einstein's theories um, with some a solar eclipse project that he was working on. And when she went to that lecture, um, that was sort of her first introduction to this whole idea of astrophysics. Um And that really, you know, she was always interested in the natural world, but she was on a sort of biology life science track. And then when she saw, when she heard that lecture, um, you know, she says she wrote down every word of the lecture from memory. Um, And that is when she was introduced to astrophysics and she was like, this is it. And she, you know, she switched her studies um, to focus on that. And that was really sort of a, a... pivotal moment for her.
1: Well, you know she she helped create a field that really didn't exist uh yes you know, you, yes you talk about astrophysics but it, it really wasn't until uh until right. her her era and she she uh starred you like that i like that she, yeah she started back <laughs> in the day uh when women were not given phds i mean it's crazy
0: well, she couldn't even get, yeah, I mean, she could, she did not, yeah, I mean, they have their own little degree structure, you know, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, um, it's just so fascinating, you know, and even then, she, you know, she worked at Harvard for years. And I mean, she had these, you know, I don't remember the exact titles, but she had like, you know, lecturer type titles you know and it was forever until she became a full professor of astronomy and then was named um you know department chair so yeah i mean it was a different it was a different era but we're in women's history month right so what a great opportunity to celebrate some of these um unsung women in all sorts of fields
1: okay one of the great things about her and, and your book is that um whether she was a woman or a man, she had a a great discovery Mm -hmm. uh, that was trashed at the beginning. Right. So I don't want to go into, I don't want to make this an interview about uh, Cecilia Payne, but um, (laughs) just a few, a few, a few words about um, trashing people's ideas at the beginning.
0: Yeah. Well, I think, you know, she had, she was following the trail of evidence, which is what Scientists are supposed to do right. You you follow the evidence, and her evidence basically said, you know, stars are mostly hydrogen and helium. And guess what? You know, these are the most abundant um, chemicals in our entire universe. But conventional thinking of the day was, well, stars must be a lot like Earth. You know, they must have a lot more of these Earth minerals. And this so th- she would.
1: This goes back thousands of years. Yeah, yes. And and, and Copernicus (laughs) and Galileo, who believed that the the sun was the center of the solar system. Right.
0: So we we come to science with preconceived notions, you know? And so this, this is a... And it's difficult always when there's a new idea that flies in the face of what we thought was true, but she's following the trail of evidence. And so basically, you know, they the conventional uh, scientists of the day were pretty much like this, this cannot be true. Um, You know, and then a few years later, they had to come back around and say, you know what? She was right. (laughs) She was right. Sadly it took the famous astronomers of the day saying that before everybody believed her, but she was following the trail of, of evidence. So her advice you know, and everybody's advice is when, when you have, when you have a breakthrough and when you have the evidence, you need to stick to stick to your guns, essentially like stick to, you know, stick to your convictions um, and don't be dissuaded by people who are telling you are wrong when you know your evidence is right. But I think that also, you know, that also applies um, for authors too, right. When we're trying to work. Oh, hold, on. Be-
1: hold on. So before we get to authors, you reminded, reminded me of Thomas Kuhn and, and the and paradigm shifts, uh, that it's not enough to discover something. You also have to convince the, the, big, uh, the big wigs in the scientific community that you're actually right following the evidence. Um, now let's talk about, this is a good time now to segue to literature.
0: Okay, but real quick before you say that, but but I think that is an imperative part of science is communication that people don't understand. Mm-hmm. You know, a big part of science is how the science gets shared and and, you know, convincing your fellow scientists, having them go back in and look at your work. And if, you know, if it's pertinent, replicate your experiments or whatever, that is such a critical piece of the scientific process that I think a lot of people don't necessarily, non-scientists don't Do, do,
1: you, do you realize how crazy this interview is? <laughs> uh, I, I, I was a scientist for 40 years trying to know. be a children's <laughs> book writer. And you're so perspicacious and so knowledgeable about scientific discovery. And in our last conversation, you said a lot of things that resonate with me. A year later, you know, let the kids ask questions, go out and explore. This is what I teach my students and children.
0: Well, and when I work with writers, this is what I teach writers, because I mean, this book would not have come together in this way if I hadn't stayed curious and continued to be open to new ways of thinking about my draft, because I did not when I first wrote the draft for this book.
1: Uh, was this was very- your idea, not the editor.
0: Oh, to tell the story in this way. Yeah, no, this, this is my idea.
1: Wonderful. Yeah,
0: (laughs) no, because, um, yeah, I mean, when I initially wrote this book, I wrote it using a very traditional, um, three act structure, just focused on Cecilia Payne. Right. And in fact, my agent and I, we were just finalizing it to go out on submission and it was just Cecilia's story. Um, but you know, uh, then I had sort of a serendipitous moment, which was, um, at the time I was working um, as a blogger on a blog called Subit Club. And we had a series called Query Letters That Worked. Um, and so a writer friend of mine, Hannah Holt, shared a query for her book, um, the, well, what came to be called The Diamond and the Boy. So this was 2017. Her book did not come out until 2018. I never, had never seen the manuscript but she shared her query letter for this series. And her vision for her book was different than how it turned out. But she had this idea of telling two stories, the story of making synthetic diamonds and le- you know how diamonds are formed and how the scientist who created synthetic diamonds was formed as a scientist and she had this idea of telling one story from the beginning of the book one story from the back of the book and they meet together in the middle with a shared line of text so i saw that in her query letter and i was like oh, this is interesting maybe i should start thinking about my story in a different way and i thought you know i wonder if i could tell the story of cecilia Payne and the story of star formation but what kept resonating with me was this idea of a shared line of text um and so i thought could i have like a shared line of text on every page and tell the two stories at the same time on every spread um so it was really serendipitous that I read her query letter and that it sparked me to think about, you know, my story in a new way at the 11th hour. I was supposed to be going out on submission.
1: <laughs> and and it, it, I, I love that it sparked you. Right? Hannah has been on the show and she's wonderful. And the story of the artificial diamonds are very close to her heart.
0: Yeah yeah she's got a family connection to tracy hall so absolutely her
1: grandfather. yeah so um absolutely so um now th- this is very strange because you know I- i'm interviewing somebody who's so knowledgeable and keen on science um and um last year we had an interview uh so we talked about the invention of uh, the airplane also by a woman um but more intriguing for me was a nonfiction book he wrote about a fictional character
0: yes a true wonder we talked about a true wonder
1: yes and, and and so you have this ability to to see things differently and and i'm guessing that you might have been a a, a scientist and it's perhaps not too late
0: <laughs> well i think you know i think that's what i i think i'm i am not interested in doing the same old thing over and over again you know that that to me telling stories um in a very traditional way is not that interesting to me. So, you know, I'm constantly interested in, in finding new ways to share stories. So in a true wonder we used um, like a comic book type format, you know, and, and I, And it was interesting to me because it wasn't a biography of a person, as you said, it was sort of a biography of a fictional character um, and how they, how Wonder Woman was created and how she came to mean so much to so many people. Um, So I think I'm always, you know, it ends up meaning that I have a very slow process. You know, I have a book right now that I have a picture book that I know there's something there and I've written and rewritten it, um, so many different ways, but I can't let go of it. And I'm trying to find just the right sort of (laughs) different way of telling the story.
1: (laughs) So, so let's go back to the submission process. Now, if you are an unagented writer and you're submitting something that's weird goes from the front to the back it's in english and arabic at the same time um they meet in the middle uh one page is upside down you have you can have tremendous trouble selling that concept to an agent who expects to get a linear a draft of a, a picture book of less than 500 words <laughs> uh, but but you you were lucky to have an agent and you're also famous um but still how did you how did you how did the book look like on the page how did the submission look like? Was this page split down the middle?
0: Okay. So, um, you know, I, I will say we are traditional, you know, we are told as authors, um, not to include, um, art notes, right. We're often told to leave the art to the illustrator, which is totally true. I mean, they have such amazing visual storytelling skills and you don't want to, um, mess with their process. Um, but, you know, a lot of our job as authors is to make our vision clear. So often what that means for me is I have to write sort of a global note at the beginning of my manuscript that says, hey, here's my vision for the story. With a true wonder, it was, hey, I think this would be really cool told in comic back comic book format with panels um for the fire of stars it was hey i think um what i would like to see is you know we're telling two stories on every spread the star story and cecilia's story with a linking line of text um so a lot of my manuscripts contain a global illustration note and then for this one um you know, it was just a, you know, a single word doc. I didn't put anything into com- into columns, but I did have illustration notes, you know, and I did say, you know, here's the, here's the line of text that applies to both stories. Here's what's happening with the star and here's what's happening in Cecilia's life. You know, I didn't get specific, yeah, you know.
1: I- Kirsten, here's the question. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. Could you do this? If you weren't agented, if you were just submitting, um, you know, in our in our previous um, talk, you uh, came out as one of the authors who uh, who find found an agent via the uh, slush pile. Of right. course, you had a wonderful biography, a history of writing dozens of books, and uh, and so perhaps uh, any um, agent reading your your bio w- would want to take you. And I remember the story of uh, you being transferred to Lorien. And her becoming, mm-hmm. if, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, you're um, right. Uh, but would that be like, would that be something you would submit? You submitted to Karen Weissman. I can't remember now. Um, and um, w- would you say to an a, a author starting out, perhaps to submit something simpler? Because agents, if they look at your manuscript, they're going to look at it for a couple of seconds at the beginning.
0: Well, I mean, OK, I'm not here. Here's what here's what I would say your job as the author is to make your vision known. If you need to use, if you have like a more conceptual story or one that's reliant on a visual narrative that's not apparent from your words, you need to make your vision known. In my view, art notes are for the agent, they're for the editor. The editor, in fact, I don't even know if Catherine ever saw those notes. They may, a lot of times um, the editor needs the notes to see the vision um, and to help you achieve your vision. And then they very well may take those art notes out before they give the manuscript to an illustrator. So I like to think of the art notes as getting your vision across to the agent and the editor. They're not necessarily for the illustrator. you know, and I like Tara Lazar's uh, thinking about art notes as action notes, right? So if there's something that's not apparent in your story that's taking place, um, an action that needs to be included, include it. But you don't need to see things like, you mm-hmm. know, Cecilia paints dresses yellow, blah blah blah. All that to say, you know, if I were submitting now, I would not, I would not shy away from submitting you know a conceptual story that requires a note about your vision as long as you're you can make your vision clear
1: that's that's a, my that's, per,
0: that's my personal view <laughs> but i am not i am not counseling people on submissions
1: <laughs> in a sense in a sense you are um we've had agents on the program we've had editors on the program i just came back from the scbwi in new york and um, there's no there's no uh, message one size fits all. So and um, I think
0: yeah, I mean, I think people, you know, I think especially if you're writing biography, you know there's there are we've had a lot of biography. So I think you I think if you're writing biography, you want to try something different. I think I think editors want to see something um, distinct and different. I mean, I will say, um, the more I've been creative with um, my structure and things like that, those manuscripts have ended up being easier to sell, you know, or have sold in a, in less time than mm-hmm. a more traditional manuscript. But
1: Kirsten, it, it, it's you. You see, you are one of the. <laughs> we had this discussion already. One in three thousand manuscripts in a slush pile gets published. This isn't me saying this. This is Elizabeth Law quoting. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. it was done at Holiday House from another talk right. so one out of three thousand and you're one of those three thousand that were picked up from the slush pot um so so in in science you know you every author that i speak to is an outlier and you know statistics don't work without liars <laughs> uh, so, so what, whatever whatever you say that works for you is wonderful and it's instructive I want to ask you now a few more questions about the process of this, of this book. Okay, sure, sure. Did Did you help to pick the illustrator? Did the illustrator speak to you during the uh, during the illustration? Sure, sure. Did you I'm see sorry. the have, illustrations?
0: Yeah. Okay. Real quick. Sorry. I have a I have an older I have a senior dog who is my,
1: like my, going
0: crazy. So people are barking. my, yeah, I my apologize. Audience,
1: my audience loves barking dogs.
0: <laughs> okay. Oh. Um. So we um. So this is this is a hard manuscript to um, illustrate and it took us two years to find an illustrator. I do not know, you know, I don't know why different illustrators didn't take the project, um, but it took us two years before Catherine Roy signed on to the project. Um, in terms of, did I have input, you know, I'm publishing with Chronicle and, um, Chronicle makes beautiful, beautiful books. They have a really artistic sensibility. So I knew Melissa Manlove, our editor would have, um, tremendous, you know, vision for what, who the illustrate, who a good illustrator might be. Um, and so she, Chloe, I'm sorry, she's having a meltdown. (laughs) um so you know she had tremendous vision so when she said I think Catherine Roy would be great for this project um you know I said sure you know I'm very familiar with Catherine's work so I said yeah you know let's let's get Catherine on board um and Catherine she writes and illustrates her own books um she loves research and so she went off and did her own research. I mean, she, she got research from Harvard, you know, she, and she does tremendous visual research. So she did her own research process. We, I communicated with her one time to check one fact, um, but she did all her own illustrations. I did see some of the preliminary dummies. Um, but really my connection with her was only after we were done with the book and, and went to market it. So she so, was doing uh, her own, she was doing her own, yeah, her own work independently. So,
1: so if, if you pick up the, the uh, book, there, there's a, um, can you pick up the book and, and open a double spread, please? Sure. There's something incredible about her illustrations. Yeah. Um, like um, and I I think that you, I think that you answered, first of all, you answered um, your own question. You know, you've given, no, don't go away. When, when the, <laughs> when the, when the illustrator okay. sees there's so much research done before they can grab, you know, a pencil and, and a crayon and start to draw, or in this case, whatever techniques you use. Mm-hmm. Um, so, some some artists just want to draw; they don't want to do the research. Um, okay, open it again. Open it again.
0: <laughs> Mel, you're so funny.
1: You're funny. Yeah, this is a good piece. Okay, hold hold on one second. Uh, I'm sh- I'm shutting the door
0: on this dog. Hold on okay. one second. Sorry, all Mel. Right.
1: It's all right. And, I'm going to sing "Hava Nagila" as I do when I run out of things to say. Hava Nagila, Hava. Okay, you're back. So, um, sorry, my my me...
0: fluffy little my fluffy little dog has dementia, and so she's having a moment.
1: Okay. okay. So, so one of the I I don't know anything about about artists and so on, but one of the things that struck me in this in this book is you know how we're instructed as authors to leave a lot of space in picture books for the illustration. The illustrator creates the book as much as we do sometimes more, right? Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, And what she's done, and I don't know anything about art, but I find this incredible, is that the artwork is very detailed except for the facial expressions, which are minimal. And uh, for me, I don't know anything, but it says to me, this is like letting the, the, the reader kind of invoke the face
0: now this Cecilia. is interesting this is interesting yeah well i mean and this is katherine style so if you look at her other books like she has um otis and will discover the deep with barb rosenstock you know she has a very loose um style you know so but that's interesting
1: we have to have her on the show ask katherine if she'll be on the show and we could both interview her
0: <laughs> well she has a book out na- uh next week another book well,
1: Let's do it. I mean, I I booked till July, but you know, for for you, (laughs) for you, I can make a special dispensation. Please ask Catherine. Um, All right. So, so, so this, I find really intriguing. It's almost.
0: Yeah. So So kids can sort of see themselves in the. Yeah.
1: Whatever. Or or fill out her, her, fill out her face.
0: Well, and the interesting thing, um, you know, it's Catherine and I have done some written, you know, some written interviews together. And we did um, speak to some folks at Harvard one time. But, you know, she'll say for this this book, she sort of had to come to a point where she could develop a whole new process for the stars because you know how do you draw a star forming you really can't you know and so she had to use toothbrushes and make you know interesting marks and splatters trying to represent the feeling and the energy of you know a star forming so it was kind of an interesting we both had an we both had an interesting experience you know with uh kind of creating things
1: in a new way and um you have a um, can you talk about your book coming out next year your concept book
0: well i have a couple of books you know i can't i'm um the no no
1: okay i'm being mm-hmm. specific here mm-hmm. uh, this is how you know it's already in the public uh, knowledge yes. of, uh, can you share a few words about this book
0: Yeah, so I have a picture book coming out with Little Brown called This Is How You Know. It will be um, illustrated by Cornelia Lee, who's amazing. Um, And I, we call that book a lyrical love letter to science, um, starting with sort of this, you know, magic and wonder and curiosity. Um, And for me, you know, I think what I was sort of frustrated with was this very linear process that we teach children of um, the scientific method, you know, where you do experiments and you gather data and, and there's, there's no room for failure. There's no room for having to repeat steps when things don't work out, you know, or a new question comes up and you go off in a new direction. Um, so I think I wanted to sort of really... Give kids a sense of how science really works, um, and so it's basically a free verse poem about how the scientific method really, really works. And, but it's um, you know it's, it's lyrical, it's lovely, it's sort of wondrous.
1: Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to break the rules and have you on again. Next year. <laughs> but but Kirsten, look look how marvelous this is. You see, because you are you are a scientific romantic. And as somebody who was a scientist for 40 years, I can tell you that um, people who are in the profession become very jaded and very dogmatic. Um, And and looking back at my career, I I was much more successful than I deserve to be. Um, And there's reasons for this, we won't go into them today, but um, because I'm interviewing you, but everything in science is mistakes and chance observations and getting things wrong. And baking the cookies backwards and blowing up a laboratory and tasting your your finger because you want to flip a page and discovering saccharin. um and and i agree with you i'm I'm your biggest proponent now
0: well but i think science
1: science is is not it's, it's a haphazard process
0: yes well but i think what's interesting to me and why i write about this a lot is I feel like writing is the same way. I mean, I feel like making music is similar, you know, art, you know, visual art process, writing process. I think, you know, I think a lot of times we tell people, are you left brain? Are you right brain? Are you scientific or are you creative? But I think what I see is, We we all share a similar process, right, to to create something new, whether it's a scientific discovery, whether it's an airplane, whether it's a comic book character, you know, a picture book, we all go through a very similar haphazard process of trial and error and failure. And, you know, so for me, I think that's why I keep sort of writing about that over and over again is because I see what I do in that process as well.
1: But, but you see, you're so, so this is really interesting because I should, I keep saying that, but it is uh, <laughs> truism, bad mail, bad. Um, avoid truisms in interviews. Um, it, 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 it's, it's splendid because you're, we you really are coming and writing like a scientist. Yeah. Because you, you're building, hold on, you're building on stuff that is known or considered to be known whether it's a biography of pain, whether it's the, um, a, the process that you're discussing now with me, whether it's the scientific method, right? And I, I'm taking exactly the, the opposite journey. I'm trying to get away from science. And, and, and we talked about this a year ago and now I'm gonna bug you about it because it's been another year. Okay, uh, go when, ahead. When, when are you gonna publish a real fiction picture book that is not no. based on wonder woman that's not based on um, stars it's not based on cecilia pay i'm now throwing it up to you
0: um you know what i mean i i don't really have one i mean what the picture book that i'm struggling with right now i have written it um both as nonfiction and um a fictional book that illustrates the concept i'm trying to get across um, And when I've shared it with my agent, she's like, no, I think the nonfiction, (laughs) I think the nonfiction approach is better. So um
1: But she's not looking, she is she's looking at what is qualitatively better or what she can sell. Because I think this I'm gonna have Melissa Stewart on the show in a couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. And we're gonna have a very nice, friendly argument.
0: Yeah, she's great. Okay, go ahead.
1: About fiction versus nonfiction. Mm I think it's easier to sell nonfiction. Um, What do you think?
0: Okay. I don't want to answer that question. Here's what I want to answer about that. But again, like I, so I am working on a middle grade fantasy, right? So I am writing, it's historical fiction fantasy, right? I've been working on that for a year, a novel, um, which is hard and new for me, which is why I'm so slow with it. But I think, you know, personally i think they're again sort of like scientists and writers or creators you know artistic creators i think we have fiction and nonfiction i think there we have more in com- there's more in common with that than different right we just are right we're trying to share a truth but we're sharing it in a different way in fiction there's a lot of emotional truth and in nonfiction it's a lot of sort of factual truth but you know we're both trying to share some kind of truth, we're just coming at it a different a different way. So I guess I don't see that much different between fiction and nonfiction.
1: Let me tell you the difference. Go
0: ahead. Go ahead. OK.
1: All right. Because people ask me, why did you leave a scientific career after 30, 40 years and want to write all kinds of complete fiction about a go-to wants to pitch in the major league? Um, and there, there's a reason, because scientists look for a truth. You call it a physical truth, okay? Fiction writers look for everything except the truth. The truth is boring when you're writing fiction.
0: But, but I think it's an you're looking for an emotional truth, right? You're looking for- well, that,
1: that that's beautiful. So you're yeah. looking for an emotional truth, but the other thing uh, that I want you to consider, and we'll talk about this next year, if you don't want to answer me in the meantime, is that as a scientist, you are charged with trying to understand the world as it is? Right. When you're writing fiction, you're trying to understand the world as it isn't. You create a world. When you create no, a character, but... one second, hold on, I'm on the road. Okay. Here. Okay. <laughs> when 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 Wonder Woman was created, she didn't exist. Now I'm going to shut up.
0: Well, no, but I, you know, I think in some in some of writing fiction. Even if you're creating a world and you're creating fictional characters, you're still trying to, you're still wrestling with the world and how it is on an emotional level, you know, not... With the specifics of the characters in the world, but you're still, you know, you're still wrestling with real world themes and real world issues, um, and feelings that we all have, and and that's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about an emotional emotional truth. So even in a very fictional world with magic or unicorns or whatever. At the end of the day, you're going to have some kind of a theme or a takeaway that's so, that's an emotional truth, that is true. It's just a different, you know, a different type of truth. But all that to say, I am not currently working on um, fiction picture books. I am working on a middle grade historical fantasy, so that's fiction. But I, I'm not working on a picture book length fiction. Don't ask that's me why.
1: why. <laughs> well, I don't know we- why. We need some. We need some stuff to discuss next year.
0: Well, I mean, I have. I have two books. I just don't. You know, it's so hard to know exactly when they're mm -hmm. going to land. I have two books in the pipeline.
1: Maybe we we didn't talk much about this last time, but I did ask you what you were like as a five, six-year-old. You know, I have this theory that people who write for very young children are stuck at that age. That something happened to them. uh, That essentially, um, I'm an old Jewish guy, but in my heart, I'm a five-year-old in Ottawa, um, and I write to my five-year-old self. Do you write to your five-year-old Kirsten?
0: Um, I don't think I write to my five-year-old Kirsten, but, you know, I do think in sort of another lifetime, you know, I was very interested in science. I mean, I, re- I remember writing a paper in the ninth grade about neutrinos, right? When neutrinos was like a fairly, I don't know, not, you know, particle physics, whatever. Um, but I think, you know, I think I had this conception that to be a scientist you know, you had to be a certain way. You had to be really brilliant at math and, and all of these things. And so um, I was very interested in science, but I think I also had this impression that I couldn't do science. And because, so,
1: Because I, one second, because you were a woman, because why?
0: Well, no, I just, I just thought, you know, I think I thought that you had to be very brilliant in math and in your science courses. As I've come to write about science, what I've learned is you don't have to be brilliant. You know, you have to be able to, to do a certain amount of the math. But the math is actually, you know, for a lot of people, the math is not a significant. You know, my husband's an engineer. Does he remember everything about calculus? No. But he knows enough. He remembers enough that he can do his work. So I think part of it for me is I want... Um, I want kids to be encouraged. I want them to not be discouraged because they look at Einstein, right? Who is truly, you know, wow, a brain, you know how do you, how do you do that? But we don't all have to be, if you are interested in science and engineering you don't have to be like Einstein, right? So I want kids to be encouraged and know that their curiosity and wonder and persistence and perseverance is enough and that they could, they could do this, you know, they could do science, they could do Okay, Kirsten,
1: right, one second. So this is, so are, are you talking to yourself here?
0: Yes, I mean, it's because, it's
1: a, because yeah. you, if, if there were another Kirsten, mm-hmm. uh, who was able to reach you, then perhaps you would have realized that you could have been a scientist. And I'm guessing that you would have been a marvelous scientist. Because well, you, you. you, you, you <laughs> have well, because you're so creative. I, I, Agree so much with your contention that it's all the same. Science and music and, the, and 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 writing are dabbled in all of them. And it's the same creative process. But it's what I call thinking between the boxes. Taking things that shouldn't be connected. You know, like what you've done. You're know, having uh, the stars uh, together with the lady who discovered what they were made of. Right. And this is what scientists do. So maybe you are... Mm, I don't want to be a, a psychologist, but maybe you're comfort, comforting, <laughs> comforting another Kirsten. And, yes.
0: Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, there uh, in our alternative universes, I'm sure there is mm-hmm. one <laughs> where I'm a scientist and or an now, li-
1: Listen, you—you you, you taught me something. You always teach me things. This—I um, wish you lived in the same town. We could have coffee. This—this um, this idea of looking for an emotional truth is so beautiful. So um, I'm going to urge you to think about that a little bit more too, because if writing fiction is looking for the emotional truth, and maybe this is what I'm trying to do after, after 35 years of trying to look for the physical truth, right? Then um, you should be able to say, I'm a big girl now, you know, enough writing about science and the scientific process I should be writing more about the emotional truth. And perhaps this book that's coming out next year, which I can't wait, which is called, This Is How You Know, um, may address that. And if not, I'm going to bunk you every year until you...
0: Well, well, Mel, I'm writing a novel. Like, yes. So, so for me, but like for me, I guess when it comes to emotional truths, right? I want a bigger stage right i want a richer tapestry so i don't so want to yeah, may, may, do maybe do that in maybe, a picture book i want to do that in a novel
1: no okay but the novel is for what age group it's middle grade okay so middle grade is what eight to twelve. Eight to twelve mm-hmm. okay so maybe that's where you're stuck maybe that's the emotional truth kirsten that you're addressing so I,
0: <laughs> probably
1: <laughs> i can I, I can't wait to see that is there anything else we haven't touched upon
0: Uh, You know, I don't think so. I just um, always want to let people know that there are resources um, on my website. So if you, you know, if you've enjoyed the discussion that we have, um, Catherine and I put together some teacher tips um, with discussion points that you can have teachers or, or parents can have with their kids. Um, those are on my website, which is KirstenWLarson.com. Um, and you'll find more resources um, for the book, all kinds of uh, scientific activities. And then I'm on social media everywhere at Kirsten W. Larson. Um, and I love to interact with um, readers and writers.
1: And you are marvelous. Uh, you're, the, you're by far the most popular interviewee that I've had. Um, and when I grow up, Maybe we'll write a book together. And <laughs> that would and, be fun. And I will be I will be a scientific raccoon on one side <laughs> of the page and you'll interview me about science.
0: <laughs> here you go. <laughs> I think we got to have to do that one as a graphic novel. I I'm feeling that one as a graphic novel.
1: I'm, I, you know you're the one who's successful here as a writer not me. <laughs>
0: Well, this is always a blast. I love that we get to go into so many different areas. It's always fun.
1: Kirsten, I can't help it. And I, I really think that that's how innovation and creativity happens. Yes. The more boxes you have to throw around and think in between, uh, the more chances you have of coming up with something special. You're a very special guest on the show. that um, We've uh, been going now for three quarters of an hour. I think that this one was much better than our last one. What do you think?
0: <laughs> All right. Yay. I'm glad we succeeded.
1: No, but you think this is a better interview than last one?
0: I don't know. I haven't listened to our other interview for a while. Ah, sure it, was, both- it
1: was great, too. Ah, okay, here's to next year. So <laughs> this has been a wonderful interview with the amazing Kirsten Larson, who has a new book just out, The Fire of Stars. Yes. The, ta- the, the double double-barrel tale.
0: That's right. Cecilia Two stories Parison. in one.
1: And, and it's, it's, it's like you buy one book and you get two stories. Exactly, for same See for price. the
0: price of one. Mm-hmm.
1: With so much back matter and so much science. And, 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 and really, um, I wouldn't say like bringing to life a really important scientist that um, is sometimes forgotten. And congratulations on so many things that you do, Kirsten. And um, until we write our book together, this is Mel Rosenberg. For the Children's Literature Channel of the New Books Network, what a mouthful. uh, Saying thank you very much. Run out and buy Kirsten's new book. It's everywhere. And uh, I can't wait till our next interview. Thank you, Mel. Thank you, Kirsten. Ah, you have to don't forget to speak to Catherine. We'll both interview her.
0: All right, sounds good. I'll let her know.
1: Absolutely. Well, don't let her know. Maybe you should ask her first. Hi, you know what? You're right. Just let her know. Mel. (laughs) <laughs> you know you're on you're on this. what What are you doing next Thursday?
0: You know what? I'll email you and connect you both.
1: Wonderful. This was wonderful. I don't want to leave you, but I have to. Thanks so much, Kirsten. Bye, Mel. Bye, everybody.